Okay, Yay. so should we do our clappy clap? Yes. Okay, so I've got a few okay. like, big lines. Sorry, Ben. <laughs> okay, ready? You do it. <laughs> One, two, three. Scared Alex. <laughs> oh, no. He just went, Je scared Jesus Alex. Christ. <laughs> Even though I oh, said out loud, baby. should we do our clap? <laughs> Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch, bad bitch? I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if it's naughty to rule your lips, shake your shoulders, shake your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be best. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Okay. All okay. right. Hi, Anna. Oh, okay. Hi, Deanna. <laughs> uh, are we recording a podcast? It seems like we are. Is it a? Is it called Good Witches, Bad Bitches? It is called Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Is it a about women? Yeah. Is it um, scholarly in any way? It or is. Or do we just have fun? Not. We just have fun, and we talk about women who are interesting. I like it. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. How are you? How are you holding up in quarantine? <laughs> I know we, we're, we're, we're still th apart. Episode three of being apart and in quarantine. It's it's. I mean, thank goodness we have practice doing this. Yeah, from no kidding. Our, from know, when we what, it was summer. last year when I was out of town and then you were out of town and we were not able to be in the same room for like eight weeks. Yeah, yeah, we got some some great practice being separated, but still being together yep and i feel like it was definitely priming us for this situation this exact situation because <sighs> we're gonna be here for a while i think that's what the experts are saying not what our yeah. president is saying he wants to be open by <laughs> easter but he is a fool oh god didn't he just say oh not easter anymore now it's the end of april which is still oh. absurd the end of april is still not better no not really i think um i was reading somewhere today that the the they're expecting the peak of it to be to hit like around april 17th mm. in washington but i don't know what that means for the rest of the country but because um, washington was like the first cases yeah so yep who knows but um, yeah so things are interesting things are weird i assume that's probably the same for everybody yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just I'm glad to be talking about something other than um, coronavirus yeah, so with you let, let's shift gears so that we don't focus on this too long because this is a fun thing that we're doing and hopefully yeah. if you're listening you're here to take your mind off of the world as well yep and uh, it's technically April 1st it is April so... Day, and we are coming to you with no fool and just gifts <laughs> Oh shit! I love you. I love you too. <laughs> um, Are you gonna tell me about April Fools? I will tell you just a little bit about April Fools because I didn't know the history of April Fools, and it still actually seems like it's kind of shrouded in some mystery. But uh, it's so funny. I went to Snopes, and so this is what Snopes has to say. In case anybody didn't know, people may know this already. But so. When the Western world employed the Julian calendar, apparently years began on March 25th. 
So <laughs> festivals marking the start of the new year were celebrated on the first day of April because March 25th fell during Holy Week. The adoption of the Gregorian calendar wow. during the 1500s moved the new year to January 1st. So according to the most widely believed origin, they it's postulated that um, April Fool's Day originated because there were people who could be tricked into believing April 1st was still the proper day to celebrate the new year. And the people who were celebrating the new year were considered April Fools because they were foolish for celebrating the new year at the wrong time. <laughs> That's so funny. So it says... French peasants would potentially unexpectedly drop in on neighbors on that day in an effort to confuse them into thinking they were receiving a New Year's call. Out of that one jape supposedly grew the tradition of testing the patience of your family and friends. (laughs) Um, So other theories include uh, that the timing of this day seems to be related to the arrival of spring when nature fools mankind with fickle weather interesting okay yeah um that's kind of a dumb one some (laughs) theorize it may have something to do with the vernal equinox um some think that it ties in with the romans end of winter celebration hilaria and the end of the celtic new year festival so anyway Ah. just some basic potential origin stories there and I like that first one. I like the first one, too, where it's like, hey, neighbor, yeah. happy new year. What? It's not new year's. <laughs> it is. Oh, just kidding. And if you're like, April yeah, Fools. happy new year, you're an April fool. <laughs> I hate April I Fool's Day that. for the most part, because it's like everybody does the same jokes over and over. Like, we got engaged and oh, yeah, like we're pregnant. And it's you never trust anything you see on Facebook. I wonder if it will be different this year because of everybody being cooped up. But. Yeah, actually, speaking of Snopes, sorry to bring it back to, you know, current events, but Snopes put out um, a tweet today saying, like, hey, we've been really overworked debunking a lot of things recently, and we're afraid we're not going to have time to debunk all of the April Fool's, like, coronavirus hoaxes that are going to come out tomorrow. So Please we're, don't be an asshole. We have, yeah, so we've here are some tips on how to trust your gut um, to basically figure out for yourself whether something is actually real. Interesting. Yeah, but good for because them they're for just because they're like this is gonna suck. We're already yeah we we just have no time. way, <laughs> and there's gonna be enough misinformation pumped out into the universe tomorrow because people are dicks. Um, so you know. Here are some ways to figure it out for yourself. I just, yeah. man, so weird. And it's Fred and George Weasley's birthday. How fitting. Ah! Oh, I'm sure that was intentional. Oh, yeah. 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 A little on the nose, JK, but um, it's fine. Yeah. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on, on our, our Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. 
Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. So who who are you going to tell me about this week? Well, she is um, not really fitting for April Fools, but I guess she did make a fool of a lot of people. So oh. that could work. Okay. You know. All right. Um, I'm talking about somebody uh, pretty amazing who I'm surprised I've never heard of before. Um, just before I dive in, I got my info from allthatsinteresting.com. Rejected Princesses, thank you, Jason Porath, um, and Laughamsquarterly.org. And a little bit of Wikipedia. Laughams Quarterly. Yeah, L-A-P-H-A-M-S, Quarterly. But they Uh had a great article, so I was like, all right, I'm going to use some of this. Um, But the person I'm talking about today is Katuyan. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I had to look it up. the wrestler princess of Mongolia. Whoa. Yeah. Ring ring any bells? Nope. Not even a cool. not nope. Not a single one. Amazing. So I'm gonna dive in a little bit, uh, sort of going backwards to just what the Mongolian Empire looked like. This is courtesy of Rejected Princesses. Um, he writes, at its height, the Mongolian Empire was the largest contiguous empire in human history, stretching from China to Europe and the Middle East. The whole thing was started by Genghis Khan, maybe you've heard of him, who unified a number of nomadic tribes under a single banner. While he did bring many advances to the regions he conquered, religious tolerance, increased trade, meritocracy, all good things, you probably know him more for his reputation for brutality. Certainly he was known for that back in the day, too. Yeah. And it was not undeserved. He once conquered a nation. Um, oh, shoot. I should have looked up how to pronounce this one called the uh, Quaresmid Empire. Right after taking control, he decided to erase it from existence, burning towns to the ground and killing everyone in its government. Jesus um, Christ. And also, just in case this can be heard on our recording, they are doing construction outside my apartment. So we might have some jackhammering interrupting us here and there, but I'm just going to power through. He went so far as to divert a river through the deposed emperor's birthplace, wiping it off the map. So he like wiped this town off the map. He, He conquered this empire and then he went, fuck you, conquered empire. And he raised these towns to the ground and then he diverted a river to wipe the town off the map. Jeez. Um, yeah, <laughs> this sort of thing was what he was known for, and it was those warlike traits that he passed down to his descendants, including his great-great-granddaughter, Cotulian. By 1260, the year she was born, the Mongol Empire was starting to fray at the seams, and civil war was imminent. Basically, some of the Khans, Cotulian's father, Kaidu, among them, favored the old ways of riding, shooting, and other trappings of the nomadic lifestyle, while Kublai Khan, Kaidu's uncle, her, her father's uncle, what would that make him to her? Great uncle? Great uncle? I think so. Her great uncle. Was more into pol- politics, governing well, and other things that, um, you know, I think were a little, I don't want to say modern, but kind of boring compared to what they were used to doing. 
Um, and so Kaido and Kublai began outright warring with each other at some point in a conflict that would last 30 years. And families, am I this, right? Yeah, yeah. Throughout this, Kaido relied on one person above all others when it came to military expertise. And spoiler alert, it was not any one of his 14 sons. Oh my God. It was Katulian. It was his one daughter, his single daughter. <laughs> 14 sons? 14 sons. How many wives Didn't rely did he on have? any of them. That's a good question. I don't actually I don't actually know the answer to that. Or did they all stem from one wife? Because that would be that poor woman was that like, poor woman. If that's <laughs> was a baby making machine. Oh, my God. I have no idea. I didn't even think to look that up. Shit. Well, why would you? Now I'm curious. <laughs> You know, sometimes it's not you until obviously someone thought asks of it. the question. It's not until someone <laughs> asks the question that you realize, oh, I should have I, I should have investigated that. If someone knows, let us know. Okay. So she was a princess, obviously. Um, great great granddaughter of Genghis Khan. She was uh, known by several names, primarily Katulian. All of them referred to moonlight. They all meant moonlight. She was a large and powerfully built woman, and she used her size and her strength in the three Mongol sports of horsemanship, archery, and wrestling, as well as in the primary Mongol vocation of warfare. Um, <clears throat> the primary Mongol vocation of warfare? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was fucking good at it. She was a strategist. She was, I mean, the reason that her dad kept, like, she was his right-hand fighter was because she was smart. She had a, a I was going to say an eye for tactics, but a, a mind for tactics is probably more appropriate. And um, she just knew and intrinsically understood how to scare their enemy and how to win battles. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, but wrestling was another thing she was very, very good at. So I'm going to talk about that for a sec. <laughs> Mongolian wrestlers were not paired by size or weight. Oh. And the rounds, yeah, the rounds had neither spatial nor temporal limits. What? The, the, the two opponents grabbed the other's arms or waist until one forced the other to the ground. If any of the body touched the ground, no matter how briefly, that contestant lost. So it's it's a little different from what we are used to seeing, That's where you kind of like if you're on the ground for like yeah, it kind of is. And if you touch the ground for any amount of time, you're done. Um, smaller or less skilled wrestlers might be thrown in a few seconds, but evenly matched wrestlers sometimes locked arms around each other and pushed uh, pushed each other back and forth like two bull elephants for as long as necessary until one competitor dropped. Jeez. Yeah. Among the Mongols, athletic victory carried a strongly sacred essence, according to Latham's Quarterly, and the champion was considered to be blessed by the spirits. Ooh. And Cotillion was a champion wrestler who was never defeated. What? Ever. Never, ever defeated. Therefore, her athletic triumphs made her the ideal companion for her father in battle. Her presence, mounted next to him on the battlefield, extended her reputation for past athletic victories into an implied guarantee of dominance on the battlefield. Yeah, no kidding. So everyone saw her and they went, oh shit, that's the wrestler who is undefeated. 
she's got that sacred essence. I'm real yeah. scared now. And do is it doesn't matter if male female? They were her opponents were primarily male. Got it. So yeah, she was not really fighting too many women. Most women, I think, were more focused on horsemanship and archery, which she also did. She was also very good at both. But I mean, that's what I would focus she on. She just archery, horsemanship, and archery. Yeah. Although I feel yeah. like maybe if I had trained from a young age, who knows? I'm I'm pretty intimidating. Yeah, maybe if your dad was a, a war general. Yeah. You might have other expectations placed on you. True enough. Throughout their lives, the two constantly defied the efforts of Kublai Khan to rule over the tribes of the steppes of Western Mongolia and Kazakhstan. Uh, they resisted every army sent against them and kept their homeland permanently free of rule by his one dynasty. Hmm. On the battlefield, Kotilyan followed an unorthodox method of confronting the enemy. Basically, she scared the shit out of them. She would ride to battle at her father's side, but when she decided the moment was exactly right, and this is something Marco Polo observed and wrote about later, she would make a dash, he says, make a dash at the host of the enemy and seize some man there out as deftly as a hawk pounces on a bird and carry him to her father. And this she did many a time. And I think what he was saying is that she would ride out, like she would break ranks, ride up to somebody and use her bow and arrow to fell him, basically, and just like pick him off and then go right back. And so the enemy would get freaked out because they would see this woman ride out, like break ranks, ride out, pick someone off. And that person was just like all of a sudden not there. And she was so fast. She was already back at her father's side before anyone really knew what was going on. Yeah. Woof. Yeah. She was terrifying. Um, while such deeds of individual bravado held little strategic value, they certainly provoked discord and even panic in the enemy while enhancing her reputation as divinely inspired and blessed. Hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I think this is interesting. It's important to note that Cotillion was unusual but not totally unique among her people. Mongol women rode horses uh, as skillfully as men, often carried a bow and wore a quiver, and they repeatedly appeared in early reports as fighting alongside men. You know, it's interesting to me to hear you talk about this because I recall in school, at least for a very brief period of time, we learned about the Spartans, and the Spartans had mm. a very similar culture where the women were also participants in war yeah. and athleticism and all of that. But we never yeah. learned this about the Mongols. And gee, I mm -mm. wonder why. Because we're Eurocentric in our history mm -hmm. books. <laughs> yep. Yep. Because we've only, yeah. we only learned about Genghis Khan. We didn't learn about their culture. Right. And that we learned women about were a his, part of like, warriors. No. We learned about his conquest of Europe or yeah. near conquest of Europe. But we didn't really learn Again, much about. Eurocentric. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yep. But we didn't learn much beyond that. Because that's when my brain was like, oh, this is kind of like the Spartans. And then I was like, why do I know about the Spartans, but not about the Mongols? Oh. Yeah. Damn yeah. it. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun when you make these realizations. <laughs> um, 
The ability of women to fight successfully in steppe society when they failed to do so in most sedentary civilizations derived, however, from the unique confluence of the horse with the bow and the arrow. So basically, like, the fact that they had horses and bows and arrows and used them in everyday life meant that, like, pretty much everybody had to learn how to do both. And were they a nomadic society? Yes. Okay. Yeah. They were fighting. They were a nomadic society fighting against a an offshoot that didn't want to be nomadic anymore. I see. And so they they maintained a lot of those same traditions that they had had for, you know, hundreds of years. So, yeah. So mounted on a horse and armed with a bow and arrow, a trained woman could hold her own against men in battle. So that was another thing is like they were more viable as soldiers if they were using a bow and arrow. Women fared better in combat based on firepower, a.k.a. bows and arrows, than in hand-to-hand combat. Well, that makes sense, So, too. yeah. So it was also partly just to, bo- you know, boost their ranks a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So because archery depended so much on training, the ability of women to use arrows effectively in war depended on their developing their skills as young girls. In the pastoral tribes, both boys and girls needed to use the bow and arrow to protect their herds. The boys would take the larger animals, such as camels and cows, uh, farther away to graze, while girls stayed closer to home with the sheep and the goats. And since wolves would more likely attack a sheep or a goat than a camel or a cow, the girls had to be able to defend the animals. Yeah, I was going to say. Even lions are are more hesitant to to attack like a water buffalo because they're ginormous than they are to attack an antelope. Yeah. So the girls got the got the smaller, more vulnerable animals and then had to basically be in the position to defend them right. because they were vulnerable. Oof. So, yeah, they had to learn all that shit. Wow. So that's why, you know, uh, Cotillion was like she was f- super fucking impressive, obviously, but she also was not a m- magical unicorn. Like, yeah, she was a She's impressive and we know about her because she was a princess. Yes. But there are probably women who are her contemporaries who were just as badass. Yeah. But she She was the only one who was like wrestling. Yeah. But yeah, like I I think there were a lot of badass women around, just badass in lots of different ways. Yeah. Um, So yeah, the, the Mongols of Kaidu Khan's clan valued physical ability above all things. And that's, again, another reason why women learned these very physical skills, because it was part of their value. Like it was physical strength was part of being a valuable person. Hmm. Um, Physical ability, like athleticism. Um, And yeah. Wow. (laughs) Can you imagine? Nope. That's why we're podcasting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we are not professional athletes. We are professional um, talkers. Uh, and you could even argue that maybe we're not that good at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Often. Often enough. That's true. Um, so, yeah, I get the sense that self-roast. she. That she. Oh, self-roast. Yeah. Was that. That feel good? Yes. Yeah. So you get the feeling. Um I get the feeling that she was not very interested in in marriage. Like a lot of these a lot of these articles talked about her and marriage and some of the things that came out of her parents wanting her to get married as like 
she was just, I don't know, just being difficult or being stubborn. But I think she just didn't really want to get married that badly. And so when her father decided it was time for her to, to get married, she, I think, knew she had an easy way out, which is that this person had to be physically worthy. Like, they had to be worthy of her, a major, major athlete. Yeah. And in so a society she, in which your your physical prowess is basically the only thing that makes you worth anything. Exactly. So she refused to get married unless her potential suitor was able to beat her in wrestling. And Blech. you remember, she was undefeated. So it was kind of like it, it was it was kind of not fair. But she set up a standing offer available to anyone. Beat her and she would marry you lose and you had to give her a hundred horses what (laughs) she ended up with thousands of horses and no husband (laughs) explain my face (laughs) it's appropriately stunned i think (laughs) like what (laughs) yeah um damn uh, yeah rejected princesses says now in these sorts of texts 10,000, because it says 10,000 horses is what she ended up with, but 10,000 is like saying a million. It's shorthand for so many I can't count them all. It's shorthand also, for a fuck ton. <laughs> yeah, it's shorthand for just like, I have so many that I just don't even want to bother tallying them up. It's not a priority um, to me. Yeah, it's just not a priority. I just, I have a lot, okay? I have at least 10,000. So... While it may have been hyperbolic, suffice to say it was a truly ludicrous amount of horses, supposedly rivaling the size of the emperor's herds. Damn. She remained this stubborn about marriage even as she got older and pressure mounted on her to marry. Marco Polo, again, tells of a time where a cockier-than-average suitor challenged her. This dude was so confident that he bet 1,200 horses instead of the usual 100. Wow. He was like, yeah, he was like, I I got this. Mm-hmm. He thought he had it in the bag. And uh, apparently Kaidu and, and his wife, I believe her mother, also really liked this dude. So they just, they basically took her, uh, took her aside in private and, wa- you know, begged her to throw the match instead to of let him win <laughs> beating him to let him win and they were like he's, he's decent we really like him he would be super good for you why don't you just like let this go and let him beat you and <laughs> nah. she did not <laughs> she took his 1200 horses and did not marry him um So much of what is known about her comes from the written historical accounts of Marco Polo and the Persian historian Rashad al-Din. So many of the historical details surrounding her life are a little bit hazy, and there are several differing accounts of her eventual marriage. So one version of events is that she was getting older and still getting, you know, still refusing to get married. And then she learned that there were rumors that she was having an incestuous affair with her father. Oh, because I feel like anytime a woman is getting older and not doing the things she's supposed to do, of course, you have to make up vicious, awful rumors about her to, like, get her back in line. Yeah. So according to this one version of of her story, realizing the negative effects of these rumors, 
she chose to marry a man without wrestling him first. Hmm. Um, Rashad Aldin's account. <laughs> yeah, because she would have beat him, and it just like I think that that really is the most equi- equitable way to do that. I think, I think anybody who, I don't know, I just don't think that that marriage ever would have been good if it was based on, you know, wrestling. But that's just maybe me. Um, but, uh, according to Rashad al-Din's account, she finally fell in love and married a Mongol ruler in Persia named Ghazan. And in other accounts, and I don't, I didn't look into this, so it's a little bit weird, but in other accounts, she married a prisoner who had failed to assassinate her father. Weird. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know, but that is a story that gets told about her. Huh. Um... But by all accounts, she finally agreed to take a husband, but remained undefeated as a wrestler, and her athletic dominance was unchallenged. Um, Hot damn. Yeah. I know. So Kaidu wanted to name her the next Khan following his death, but under heavy pressure, pressure from her 14 brothers, <laughs> he relented and instead named her brother Oris as the next ruler. How did that go? Well, she agreed to throw her political support behind him in exchange for a position as the commander of the military. And he said, sure, that sounds great. And the pair maintained an alliance until her death from an unknown cause in 1306 at the age of 46. Damn. Yeah, so she was his military commander, and I feel like that's very appropriate for her. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I think this is just an interesting sort of closing paragraph from Latham's Quarterly, which is how a culture treats the past often tells us more about the people doing the remembering than about the ones being remembered. It's true. In Western culture, the tale of Cotillion become, uh, became a story of a prideful woman finally conquered by love. So there were a couple of operas in like Italy Mm. Um, written about her, and it was a very like taming of the shrew kind of situation. I was going to say. Yeah. Um, but the Mongols kept her in their memory as a great woman athlete and warrior whose achievements are still remembered today in the open vest that they wear when they wrestle and the victory dance that they, and I'm not sure if it's a dance that she did or if it's just, if it's a tribute to her somehow, a tribute to her in some way, but they do a victory dance. All the wrestlers do a victory dance. Um, and it's because of her. So every time a wrestler dresses for a match and every time he dances in victory, they honor the achievements of the greatest female wrestler in Mongolian history. Both the wrestling rituals in Mongolia and the diva on the opera stage in Italy preserve two aspects of the life of one of history's great greatest female athletes. Wow. So that is Katuyan, the wrestler princess of Mongolia. Shit, dude. I know. I know. What a badass. Pretty insane. I uh, was shocked that I had never heard of her before. Nope. But, um, yeah, I came across her, like, a couple days ago via some Twitter thread. and Dang. You know? Well, thank know. you. Yeah, man. She's awesome. I hope. I hope. That I felt like I needed to go, like, way, way, way back in time <laughs> in order to escape. Yeah, it's funny because I think. Things. You and I did some pretty serious ones, the last two, that had, you know, fun elements to them. But I think yeah. us being cooped up and us trying not to go stir crazy and all that has led to 
um, just needing some lighthearted, I mean, sort of. <clears throat> yeah. You know. Yeah, at the very least, like, exciting and interesting. I mean, her yeah. life was super exciting. She was a, a military commander. Yeah. For her, for her father and for her brother and, like, undefeated as a wrestler, uh, most of her primary opponents were men and, like, that's crazy and awesome. Yeah. And I needed that. I just needed something a little bit, um, a little bit badass and a little bit uplifting. I love it. Yeah. Uh, would you like some On This Day in History? Tell me what happened on April Fool's Day, Hannah. Man, some interesting things. I got distracted by um, by the the first one that I decided to write down. Ah. 1683, Cotton Mather's four-day-old son dies, and witchcraft is blamed. Do you know was, who Cotton Mather is? He's from Salem. Yeah, he was he was a Puritan minister in Salem, Massachusetts, during the witch trials, and definitely one of those responsible for provoking all of the. Um, all of the nastiness about yeah because it's that. not like infants didn't die all the time in 1693 yeah the I chances know. of infants making it to adulthood was so low back then i feel it it is it's i mean it's funny because i've been doing a lot of research for the satanic panic recently because i'm trying to write something mm. um from that time and it's it is just so crazy how similar the satanic panic of the 80s and 90s is to the Salem witch trials because it really is just like about un unbased claims of witchcraft and devil worship and people like going to jail and or being executed for shit that they could not have possibly done. Yeah. And it's crazy that those two things both happened, but like 400 years apart. Yeah. Uh, you know, the fact that we could be doing that in the 80s. Like, we only just released one of the last people who was imprisoned during the Satanic Panic. Really? For shit they didn't do in, like, like 2016. So, yeah. We have a long history of that. But uh, 1748, the ruins of Pompeii are rediscovered by Spaniard Rock Joaquin de Alcubierre. Wow. I was always fascinated by Pompeii as a kid. Pompeii is very fascinating. Yeah. Did you? I don't really know much about it. Did you like research it or? I know used anything? to read historical fiction and stuff when I was a kid. There was a lot that I liked about the Trojan War and Pompeii. So ah uh, yes, the, the Trojan that Greco-Roman War, Greco-Roman stuff. I was always very into. Um, I'm, me too. Yeah, that's probably why we're friends. Partly, because um, we're similar-minded. <laughs> Um, it's true. But no, I mean, I don't recall anything really worth noting other than the fact that um, they caught people doing a lot of really gross, funny stuff. Like there was they, they have the ruins of a dude who oh. was masturbating and like they c- found some oh, like really obscene, like insults that were being scrawled into things. And so people have never changed oh is what I remember learning. I love that. Is that we've always been Ancient perverts graffiti. and assholes. <laughs> Like so and so oh, has fuck. a tiny penis. <laughs> like signed Copernicus. Signed some jilted lover. <laughs> some jilted lover in Greek. Um oh no, Deanna, Uh-oh. you'll like this one. Uh oh. 
1873, British, the British White Star steamship Atlantic sinks off of Nova Scotia. 504, 547 people die. Mm. No. Very sad. But you like big sinking ships. I, I think like is a strong word. I am. You're I fascinated. have a fascination <laughs> with. Yes. <laughs> I do. Fair enough. Fair enough. 1930, The Blue Angel, starring Marlena Dietrich in her breakthrough role, premieres in Germany. She's on my list. Yeah. I'll leave her to you then. I gotta do my list. Yeah, you do. I feel like you're the right person to to do her. Aw. I like her and Greta Garbo. It's true. Oh. 1934, Clyde Barrow kills two young highway patrolmen. H.D. Uh, Murphy and Edward Bryant Wheeler at the intersection of Route 114 in Texas. Bonnie Parker's role in the murders helps turn say. public perception against the gang for good. Bonnie and wow. Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, we've talked about uh, Charles Lucky Luciano yeah. in our Stephanie St. Clair episode. Very first episode. Yeah. Ever. Uh, 1936, he's arrested in Arkansas on a criminal warrant from New York. Oh. And he was a big-time mob boss. 1952, the Big Bang Theory is proposed in physical in the Physical Review by scientists Alpha, Beta, and Gamal. Oh. Big Bang Theory, 1952. Yeah, I knew that. That it was in the 50s. And I did what, not know what, that. What a time, because they're, you know, it's now being completely unraveled in certain uh, religious schooling teachings. Yeah. You know, it's funny, as I've been doing the satanic panic research, I'm realizing how much it is, like, everything that happened in the 80s is sort of directly responsible for what's happening now, because mm. that's when the moral majority was formed. That is what finally mobilized Christians to become a like political entity and vote Ronald Reagan in. And that was when like fundamentalism really started to become a fucking problem, basically. Yeah. yeah. Kind of crazy. Oh, God. 1970, John Lennon and Yoko Ono release a hoax that they are having dual sex change operations. What, what the, the fuck? fuck? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Ugh. God. They were weird. They were weird. That's true. They were so weird. Oh, here's another one. In 73, they form a new country with no laws or boundaries called Newtopia. Its national anthem is silence. But is the, are Whoa. these April Fool's jokes? <laughs> Maybe. Very possible. I don't know. 1974, Ayatollah Khomeini calls for an Islamic Republic in Iran. Actually, um, what's interesting is I, at some point, I want to do the Empress, um, the Empress of Iran, who was crowned, I think, in 60, in the 60s sometime, because the, the Iranian, like, monarchy at the time is so fascinating. If you've ever, have you ever seen pictures of Iran from the 60s. Yeah. It's crazy. And then the Ayatollah Khomeini basically 
came in and said, no, we want to return to fundamentalism, you know, their, their fundamentalism and turn the whole thing around. Yep. It's interesting. Um, 1976, Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs found Apple computers in the garage of Jobs' parents' house in Cupertino, California. Damn. 1976. Here's a, a weird random one I could leave it on. Okay. 2013, the world's first smelling TV screen is unveiled in Japan. Smelling? <laughs> like, I think it's like Willy Wonka, like smell vision <laughs> Wow. That's so weird. Oh, and that's that. And that's on why? this day in history. And why? <laughs> Is it an April Fool's know. joke? <laughs> Could be. <laughs> we don't know. Because I'm not going to look it up. Right. You better um, trust your guts, people. Yeah. <laughs> Always be <laughs> suspicious of everything on, on yep. April Fool's Day. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, indeed. Uh, what are you excited about? Um, I am excited about i have to say it's more about like the media i'm consuming and things right now but i guess that's kind of common in our what i'm excited about anyway absolutely Um, it's not like you can go out to a bar and tell us about the cool bar you went to right so i watched the pixar movie onward which i feel like they really undersold and Hmm. under advertised for what is it? I'll, I'll I'll send you a trailer for it, but it is yeah. um it's a movie that is a it's like set in a, a modern day alternate world where um it magic used to be common like it uh it, the main characters are elves for example um Aww. and magic used to be common and people would go on heroes quests and things and it's just kind of become technologically driven instead so once people started saying oh. I don't have the gene for magic, so I don't need a magic person to do things for me. But look, I can create a machine that'll do this thing. And so the world became sort of technology driven and magic kind of disappeared. And then um, these two lead characters go on a quest that's kind of put upon them by their father who passed away like just before the second brother was born and so it's like them it'll tug at your heartstrings for sure if you watch it oh (laughs) shit yeah it it made me cry but it's oh no I I thought it was not that interesting looking based off of the way that Pixar was advertising for it and Disney was advertising for it and then it got released in theaters around the time everything was was really going to shit for coronavirus and so they did it uh, for video on demand early and so you can buy it um, not rent it right now. It's just buying it. Um, but it was so cute and really funny and really touching. So I was Pixar is good about that. Yeah. Even when Pixar's not at its like peak, like this is the best movie I've ever seen. They still have really rigorous sort of storytelling standards. Yes. And it was just a, a really, really lovely movie. So I'll have to send you the trailer and, uh, if you, yeah, please if you do. Want to do it because I think you and Ben would both like it. Yeah, I I would like something um, a little sweet. <laughs> yeah, it's very sweet. Yeah, and uh, Tom Holland is the main guy in it. Oh, and his brother's played by Chris Pratt. <laughs> oh my God! And Julia right. Louis Dreyfus plays their mom. Yeah, and Octavia Spencer plays it. a Manticore. Oh, speaking of Oct- Octavia Spencer, um. Did you uh, watch self-made. self-made? 
I haven't watched it yet, but it's out, so we all should one. watch it. I watched the first one. You did? It's really good. Oh, fuck. Okay. I got to get on that. Yeah. So. Yeah. I've, I have to be honest. I haven't really been watching a ton lately. I think I've just been having trouble with, you know, the world. So we've been watching a lot of movies from the 90s. Yeah. Because it's, That's you know, great. Like, we've been watching some reality I'll, TV and it's been yeah. trashy as fuck. Sometimes that's just, you need to go outside the norm a little bit of what you're doing. Right. Uh, well, cool, man. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Uh, I think we can conclude our, our, it's not really an April Fool's episode. We can conclude this episode <laughs> that happens to be on April Fool's Day. Yeah. And, um... You know, I hope you guys are staying safe and staying inside and, and washing your hands. And yep, I see Wash too many hands. people uh, that are outside playing basketball in big groups of people. And I'm just like, can you please go inside yeah. and practice social distancing? Thank you. It's very important. We're past. We're past the point where you should need to be told. So, yep. Stay inside. Wash yes. your hands. Yes. And uh, we'll be back next week. Okay. So, peace out, witches. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. (laughs) Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. <laughs> Become a patron and help us, you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. (laughs) Our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moonbounce. Moonbounce.